Today's podcast is brought to you by drinkers like you. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Ah, absinthe. I guess it's time for her hallucinogens. Maybe next week we can do an episode on shrooms or LSD. Eh, probably not. And spoilers, absinthe doesn't make you hallucinate. If it doesn't, though, why has this green fairy been banned in the U.S. for so long? Also, what's the point in drinking it? Well, we're going to find out today, so gather up your sugar cubes, get ready for some death in the afternoon. That doesn't sound good. Uh, While we get ready to have a drink. Have a drink, the show where you learn along with us about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. I'm Casey Price. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey. Howdy, y'all. <sighs> so, uh, how was everyone's holiday week? Yeah. Holiday? Holiday. There was a few yeah. of them. <laughs> it was It was good. Uh, got to spend some time with, with to family. Nice. How about you, Casey? I'm still spend, spending time with family. Um, I'm so sorry. We're a little weird on ours. We actually have our like Christmas on my wife's side all on like after Christmas. So we're actually, I think the 30th is our Christmas day for <laughs> for that family. Five gold rings. So that helps kind of uh, not smooth out, but give meaning and purpose to those uh, extra days between christmas day and new year's day where everyone's living in this kind of limbo where no one knows what day it is or what they're supposed to be doing no that right no i will tell you that no one got the date wrong the day after christmas (laughs) i work somewhere where they ask me what the date is every day not one person did on the 26th (laughs) because they were all Uh, butthurt they were there (laughs) did not realize it was christmas eve on christmas eve so i was just you know most people are, are doing their whole you know family dinners i know that it was a little different for you guys or whatever but but on christmas eve i was like just chowing on leftovers in the fridge that I whipped up together i mean <laughs> i had like some leftover roast beef and jar of spaghetti sauce i mixed that together to make a bolognese and i was like oh yeah yeah just another day and then ashley came home and she was like it's christmas eve right <laughs> really <laughs> is it it, this it year really was so like weird where Christmas was on a Tuesday and, like, the whole yeah. thing was just dumb. Like, I, I don't know. Next year will be worse. Christmas yeah, will next be on year's a Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. Ugh. It makes it very I, uh, tri- trippy and, and hard to keep up with. I will say I uh, subjected my, my nieces, as I was saying it in the pre-show, to uh, to a Muppet family Christmas. Nice. Uh, yes. The, one of the only Muppet Christmas things that you can't find like some hard copy of 
It's like it's just a TV special, but someone puts it on YouTube, and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Once a year, I go to this now, and I go, mm. it's Muppets, the Sesame Street gang, uh, Fraggles, all getting together, singing at Christmas time. So it's like it's the... really just an excuse for Christmas songs, and I'm like, you know what? I even I'm I'm finally to where I can hear them without cringing. But when Muppets do it, I'm always like, okay, good. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like the Star yeah. Wars holiday special. You know, it's that one special time of year everyone has to go dig up their illegally obtained copy of it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, but it was, it it was it was pretty nice. Uh, I've also got uh, I've ended up with a cigar that I need to smoke in the next few days. <laughs> But yeah, pretty pretty good holiday. How about you guys? We uh, we stayed here because uh, traveling with Wait. an infant is uh, not a thing you're supposed to be doing. Generally. Yeah, they're like, so the newborn uh, shouldn't be in the car any longer than 30 minutes. They're like, it's about three and a half hours to get back to our family. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, maybe don't. Yeah, maybe not. I uh, I mean, you could have just taken stops every half hour. <laughs> but we ended up hmm. uh, with that handy dandy uh, tripod slash selfie stick that we used for the streaming at Oktoberfest. We mm-hmm. had that set up on, with using my phone, and we um, did a video call over WhatsApp with uh, my mom, and so we mm-hmm. got to set, we got to open the presents that they had brought us, uh, but a week ago, and then um, we watched them open theirs, and so it was it was actually it was nice. Um, Emmett was not awake for a lot of it, which is fine. Uh, <laughs> he was just slumped over him, like yeah. on my lap. He, he wasn't having it. He was had his little my first Christmas sleeper on though. It was adorable. Um, and then we made our dinner from Whole Foods that night, uh, which was delicious. It was like one of the best hams I've ever had in my life. Um, it, the ham is the gift that keeps on giving. We've been eating ham for like a week, <laughs> and there's still like half a ham in there. Yeah. And it's oh. so good. Oh, it's so it's good. It's really That's, good. That ham's still going to be good in a couple of days. <laughs> it might, Maybe, it might it'll still be good if there's any left, and I have a feeling there will be. That and that, oh. that creamed spinach we got from there was also that amazing. That didn't last long. Yeah, no, Casey, how much ham are we going to eat? Three hams. <laughs> Three hams might fill me. <laughs> but it's going to yeah. thrill me. It was, uh, it was a good time. It, was, uh, it, it just all felt weird because like we didn't go home and then you know the, the whole Tuesday thing and like everything just was odd this year for Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then you know all our schedules are permanently messed up because of baby. So... Uh, yeah, it was it was okay though. So uh, it's odd that New Year's is already happening. <laughs> it's true. Like in two days, we'll see I, you guys. Yeah, we've. I think we've all finally hit the stage now where like our Christmas gifts. Child us would look at us and go, "These are the most boring things you can imagine." Oh yeah, That's, <laughs> because the thing I was most excited was Dad got me a car charger, tire compressor, all in one thing. Oh hell yeah! And I'm like, <laughs> yes. I was happy over two sweaters. I mean, yeah, that, like that, also socks. If I get is, socks yeah. and and undershirts or underwear, I'm like, mm, I don't have to go buy this. Exactly. <laughs> like this is the the difference in in a, being an adult versus like and like how grateful we are for like literally anything at this point. Because I'm like, I don't have to go to the store. <laughs> uh, we got power tools. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. We got an instant pot. <laughs> um, my my mom got us an instant pot and then um some bakeware throw that mm. over our minds like just like yes then <laughs> a humidifier where it's like oh yeah gonna oh yeah gonna heard about that. put water yeah. back into the air yeah gonna humid this place up <laughs> doesn't take much this time of year mm. all right well um so besides that we do have some announcements um 
some of these, of course, will will have been from the last show. We're just going to keep going on about it until <laughs> until uh, the events. So they come. happen. <laughs> uh, so our next regular episode is going to be Saturday, January fifth, nine p.m. Eastern, covering winemaking from plant to bottle. Uh, we will also be doing the New Year's Eve stream, of course. Um, so that's why I said next regular episode. Uh, the Diamond Club New Year's Eve Streamathon will be live starting at 4.30 a.m. Eastern Time uh, on December 31st. That's going to be over at twitch.tv slash dcstreamathon. If you can't catch all the Diamond Clubbers' different streams, including um, Ritual Misery, Hot Beverages, Big Voice J, uh, you can check out the uh, our stream for that event at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, just like last year, we're going to be streaming not only on our channel, but on the aforementioned Diamond Club Twitch channel. Um, it's just going to be a lot of hosting back and forth all day. Uh, the Streamathon is going to be supporting Extra Life, the fundraising and gaming marathon platform to support Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. So, uh, And we do have our own um, link for that. So uh, we're actually, I've got the over, a new overlay set up at this point to where... Uh, we're going to be keeping track of not only our pages um, donations for Extra Life, but also the total team page to see where you know the overall goal and where we're getting on that one. Yes, it's not a competition, yeah. but uh, but we're going to win. <laughs> but we're already winning. Just to say, the the majority of of funds have come through. Have a drink, and you know it doesn't matter. We don't win; the children win. Exactly. Yeah, but, but we want to win. But <laughs> but we're going to win for those kids. <laughs> Indeed. This, it's for the children. Uh, you know what else and is for winning. the children? It's really not. But Drinktacular, <laughs> Friday, February 22nd through Sunday, February 24th, 2019 in Asheville, North Carolina. You can join us for brewery tours, brewery hopping, bottle shares. It's going to be a blast. Uh, but if you want to reserve your spot, because in lieu of tickets, since we are going to be uh, rummaging this all together and we will be shouldering the costs, uh, just email us to reserve your spot. Uh, by emailing, you can reserve you and uh, a plus one. You just got to tell us who who all it is, and uh, you'll want to email us uh, feedback at haveadrinkshow.com. And by emailing, you're saying you're down for the new Belgium behind-the-scenes tour. We still got other tours to set up with uh, White Labs and Sierra Nevada and uh, all kinds of stuff going on down there. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be going to be going to be a good time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Actually, I'm, I've got, <clears throat> I've been buying stuff, hoping to to for some bottle sharing. Everyone, so I don't, I don't so, look like I don't look like some kind of scrub just walking in there. Like everyone, don't be too over the top with your sharing. Uh, let's try and limit it. Pick three things, three things total that you want to share with the class because you got to think about how many people are going to be there wanting to share. And at some That's point, true. at some point, it gets shut down by like the ATF or something. It just it's <laughs> it's too much alcohol in one place. <laughs> that's that's how you know you've had a good party. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, our store is up. Go to our website and click on the link, or go to have a drink have a drink store dot com. Uh, we've just got a few things up there right now, but there's going to be a whole lot more to come, and. Uh, you can get your own Delatter's Brewing shirt or a Have a Drink shirt or mug or bag. And for those who were quick on the draw, so uh, thanks to an error on our part, everything was way too low priced. <laughs> and it was everything all half, half off. off. We, we ended up paying half of the first orders until we caught it. And uh, 
we had to fix that, so everything is at full price now. That was my fault. It was a, it was an early it was a uh, it was an opening sale. So yeah, uh, if you a discount. <laughs> bank bank error not in our favor. Yeah, it was in everyone. There were orders that were placed before, but uh, yeah, those people got away with it. But everything's at a regular price now. So. And if you um, have something in mind that you would like to see in the store, if you've thought like, oh, this would be great on a shirt or whatever the case may be, uh, email us. Uh, use the email address we just mentioned, the feedback at haveadrinkshow.com, and um, we can certainly work on getting that in the store. I'm afraid to mention the email later on. If we say it three times, I think I think our uh, mugs pop out from the thing <laughs> come to life. Indeed. We become our avatars. <laughs> Uh, all right, finally, we have an update on the movie draft. Welcome to your movie draft minute presented by DiamondClub.tv for the week of December 24th, 2018. I'm your host, Big Voice Jay. Ah, children, you spend the first two years teaching them to walk and talk, and the next 16 telling them to sit down and shut up. Let's go to the scoreboard! Team Movie Party's in last place with $266.3 million. Team Bud Squad's in fifth place with $15 million from Vice, bringing their total to $273.8 million. Team Game Night falls to fourth place with $383.3 million. Team Drunk Kids Gaming moves up to third place with $15 million from Holmes & Watson, bringing their total to $386.9 million. Team Virtual Misery stays in second place with $463.6 million. And in first place with $5 518.7 million dollars. It's Steam Have a Drink. That's your movie draft minute. All totals are accurate as of December 29th, 2018. Wow. I did not expect that. Substantial. <laughs> of sugar helps the movie go up. <laughs> I think, so, how much longer do we have left on this one? Uh, First week of February. Are, isn't it? Uh, no, we've got. Um, January 25th is when the last movie comes out, and then we've got four more weeks after that. Ah, oh, okay. And so, so one of the reasons But we're we, done after Mary Poppins. Yeah, that was <laughs> we our last movie. <laughs> but not a lot of blockbusters, I don't think, rolling directly after that. And Mary Poppins was favored to be the long game uh, out of Christmas weekend because they were, they're like, no, uh, Aquaman's going to be like a flash in the pan. It'll be two weeks of outrageous sales, and then it's just going to die. And they're like, Mary Poppins will be kind of middling at first, and it's just going to stay middling for a while, kind of like we saw and predicted with The Grinch. It wasn't, like, out of the gate blowing every blowing the doors down, but it just stayed, like, in the middle of the road for so long, and it has become, out of this, we were talking pre-pre-show, out of this draft, it was the best dollar-for-dollar uh, dollar purchase. Now, I will say uh, the last two movies we're waiting on, uh, January 18th is Glass, and January 25th is Serenity. So. Those are ours? Or... No, those are oh, okay. just the last two movies overall in the draft to come out. Gotcha. Glass is that, that yeah. sequel to the, the M. Night Shyamalana-verse. And he's even come out and said that the movie they are advertising is not that movie. Like, Shyamalan's come out and be like, no, I don't know what they're making trailers to, but that's not the movie I shot. Does <laughs> huh. uh, that you bring know, your value up or down? Yeah, I, was I don't say, know. Like, People liked the last one, which was uh, what was the last one? It was I didn't see the last uh, one. The last one was split. Yeah, split. Split the multiple personalities. Was... With uh, McAvoy. Yeah, but yeah, now we've got 
got the three movies, Unbreakable Split Glass. <laughs> <laughs> they could have just called it Tempered. To, uh, to... Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah. First dad joke of the night. <laughs> but we've been, uh, in the draft, we've been playing this little back and forth for a while <laughs> with uh, Ritual Misery. On first, second, and first. The, Sometimes the, it was so quick, it would be like one night where we'd take them over and they'd immediately take us back over. I had no yeah. idea we were first. Like, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, we... Yeah, that Mary Poppins money, though. That Mary Poppins. Yeah, Mary Poppins. So, so who called the movie... Like, when we were sitting down originally coming up with a slate of movies we wanted, we said, we wanted Halloween. Because mm-hmm. it looked like it was going to be really good, and there was a lot of hype building around it. We said we want a Grinch, because it was going to be the only Christmas-themed movie out at Christmas. And it's an animated movie. It just felt like it was going to make some... Yeah. And then we're like, Mary Poppins Returns on Christmas. So, a big family Disney movie on Christmas. Hopefully, hopefully it 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 keeps keeps on going for us. It does but. have to keep delivering uh, because Grinch has pretty much dissolved out and it's no longer providing us that cash that we were we were rolling in. So it's it's up to Mary Poppins to keep performing the way uh, it has been predicted. Space Jam did, yeah, <laughs> yes. But before before the jam, uh, we have have some news. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I was trying to get it ready and it didn't work out at all. All right. Well, uh, as as many people have heard and been like, I really don't care because this doesn't quite affect me. Uh, the government has shut down, <laughs> but this means the TTB. Merry Christmas, everyone! Yeah, the TTB suspends operations amid government shutdown. That does affect you if you're in the craft beer community. Yeah. Uh, as the partial shutdown of the U.S. government stretches into its fifth day, as of when this was published, December twenty sixth. The Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB, has officially closed. A temporary landing page on the agency's website states that alcohol companies will still be able to access the TTB website to make electronic payments, submit labels or formulas, and to file other operational reports, but TTB employees will not be able to respond to questions or comments submitted via the website until appropriations are enacted. Yeah, they're, they're still very willing to take your money. <laughs> yep. Uh, when the government was on the verge of a shutdown last December, the TTB issued a shutdown plan. According to that document, non-expected activities, including all non-criminal investigative activities, audit functions, examine of course, audit functions, examination of returns, processing of tax returns that do not include, re- Ugh, if I could speak, remittances. At the time, the TTB expected 51 of its 478 employees to continue working during the shutdown. The current posting on the TTB website also informs visitors that operations will fully resume when appropriations are reenacted. Uh, 51 sounds an awfully lot like the number of states and then Washington, D.C. Yeah. (laughs) Like one person to prosecute or, or go after people at every state. They're not. I guarantee you, they're not. They're just sitting there. They're they're just sitting in an office, going, "Wow, I'm not getting paid right now, and I'm here. <laughs> I have the promise I'm going to get paid for this time when things get up and running again. Eventually, I'll get back pay. I hope the government's good for it. They're not gonna. <laughs> they're not gonna. Tax I mean, when me. would the 
how long could a shutdown possibly last? They're not going to tax me at a higher percentage rate for this, are they? <laughs> oh, TTB has, direct, uh, has directed employees not to report to work, and they are prohibited by federal law from volunteering their services during a lapse in appropriations. <laughs> As of press time, it's unclear how many TTB employees will continue working during the current government shutdown or how long the shutdown will last. We hope members of Congress and the President negotiate a swift end to this government shutdown so the TTB and other agencies that impact the beer industry get back up and running so Americans can continue to enjoy innovations and in their favorite alcohol beverages. That was from uh, Jim McGreevy, the CEO of the Trade Association, the Beer Institute, and wrote this to Brewbound uh, in a series of tweets posted over the Christmas holiday. President Trump indicated the government would not reopen until Congressional Democrats approved the $5.7 billion in funding for the construction of a wall along the southern border. Mm. Uh, we're not, the article wants to dive into that. We're not going to dive into that. Yeah, we're not going there. So what this really means is nothing is getting approved and going through. Like, that's new beers if... They want to make it. They can't serve it. Uh, labels for anything. <laughs> like this is yeah opening that's... opening of new facilities impacted greatly by this. By the way, I keep I keep thinking like I was like what what is the TTB? But I have to keep reminding myself the the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, yeah. which I don't know why, why this, that's shortened yeah. to TTB. Beyond me, all they care about is the tax. Yeah, that's the, fair. The tax and trade—that's that's really all they care about. <laughs> Anything that can bring money out of it. Yep. Yeah, uh, it's it's a big hit for for like you know trying to sort of do stuff going forward. But you know, it's only been what's the shutdown in now? It's still in its first week, second week. Second week? I don't know. Uh, e either way, like it's the end of the year. There, there probably wasn't weren't going to be presenting a whole lot of stuff right this minute. So, uh, you know, maybe you know it'll it'll work itself out in the next week or so, and everything will be fine. But if this goes on for a much longer. It's going to be a huge pain. But. But what about when you have such innovative breweries like uh, Anheuser Busch, and oh, the 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 people who brought back—they're not uh, brought back. They're bringing. They are they are getting ready to bring the first sour beer to the beer, U.S. Casey, you missed this. With, you missed oh, this yeah, on the no. news show. Beer brewed with Bretomyces and uh, lactobacillus. Intentionally yeah, no, they're, they're the first beers. ones. Anheuser-Busch is leading the way with this. Would you like to know more? <laughs> His blank expression. <laughs> so Casey, that yeah. is the stare of a man who is just like, I, I can't take this crap. If you missed it, Casey, um, Anheuser-Busch posted yesterday on their Facebook page a big Wicked Weed beer, letting it be known which one they're going to distribute first. And uh, they posted this statement with it. After centuries of development in and around Belgium, sour beers have arrived in the United States. 
In addition to standard ale yeast, sour beers make up make use of wild yeast like Brettanomyces and Lactobacillus, microorganisms that consume sugars to create uniquely tart, sometimes funky flavors. Often heavy doses of fruit are added to these beers after they've gone through initial fermentation. Yep. <laughs> They're going to have to... The post has been removed because the reaction was what you... The, your internal reaction. <laughs> well, the post has been removed because they couldn't officially say all that because, you know, <laughs> they couldn't clear that with the TTB. <laughs> There's no one there to approve the label. But no, this after centuries of development, uh, this is the first. I mean, the sour beers have arrived in the U.S., but the beer that they're promoting has been available in the U.S. for like seven years. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, retroactively, yeah, they longer are like, than that too. There have been a lot of yeah breweries that have been sour beer and well before oh no, sour beer was a thing. The exact beer that they they were pushing is one that wicked weed has brewed a number of times <laughs> of course I mean, oh so it's just the marketing attached to it yeah yeah fun <sighs> still as of november the average time to process an application for a brewery was 86 days so oh. let's see how many additional days it's going to add on with this uh backlog uh, uh yeah not counting the days that they're just not processing it, but oh. let's let's add the backlog too. Yep, the days of uh, the uh, one person in the uh, state office just having like <laughs> getting all these papers piled up. He's like, "Well, we're gonna keep piling these bad boys up." <laughs> that dude's making that dude's making a fort. <laughs> it's all it's all online now, so it's just He's making sort of, a digital fort. Yeah, it's kind of just sitting back in an, an online file, waiting for somebody to. Uh, to go through when they get back to work what? on. Well, let's keep things rolling here and move into some untapped. Damn it. Now I don't have a ready. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got the real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right. I'll let somebody else take this one. That's okay. You weren't going to take it anyway. <laughs> We know better. Than no, that. it's that time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year, isn't it, Chris? Oh yes, it's it's the time of year when we all slam. <laughs> if you want to jam, <laughs> why aren't That's they using that for marketing? Awesome. Like, what what are they doing? Why aren't they? It can't be that much to get like whatever copyright kind of things going on. Anyway, anyway, on, uh, if you go into Untapped, you can check in to the Hop Slam Ale 2019. There are little texts here. Can you smell it? A distinctive aroma of seven different hop varieties, a touch of locally sourced honey and malt getting ready to slam right uh, slam right into your face. Did mm. the rock write this? <laughs> Can you smell Can you it? Smell what the hops Can are brewing. Can you smell what Larry Bells are cooking? Goodness. Uh <laughs> it's hop slam season and we can't wait to get our hands on some of this delicious seasonal double IPA from Bell's Brewery with one of the most complex hopping schedules of all of Bell's uh beer this beautifully uh is beautifully This beauty is finished with massive dry hop additions of Simcoe to give limited beer uh give this limited beer uh all the delicious aroma you know and love It's time to check into that from January 
2nd to February 9th to unlock unlock the all new Bell's Hop Slam release 2019. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it comes in mini kegs now, just so you know. Man, I think it was it Chris was it you that had posted it posted to the show site at uh, the, the show page on uh, uh Facebook the, yeah. the giant racks of they, know, they got all the cans. stuff going out. I'm like, mm. yeah, he's just it's like, oh, my erection. <laughs> Stop, no. I can only get so drunk. <laughs> but there there's something that'll take care of that erection right now and uh, I believe it's our topic. Water helps. You got you got to be able to stomach it to get drunk off of it. I was gonna say we can't get that drunk because ew, <laughs> so bad. <laughs> Universal. Guys, we're talking about absence today. Yes, um, you couldn't guess. Universal for my first experience with absence. Likely his last. <laughs> I got a whole bottle of this crap. That's why I intentionally sought the smallest, cheapest bottle I could find and inadvertently bought one of the best bottles you can get in the U.S., but it was still cheap. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Well, today we'd like to thank and credit the authors of Absinthism. That's a hard word to say after I've been drinking. A fictitious uh, 19th century syndrome with present impact. The article, which we have sourced from the majority of today's history content, uh, written by Stephen A. Parosh and Dirk W. Lackenmeyer and Lars U. Kroner. You know, I was hoping this would be the episode where we didn't have words. I found it. Never. I found the word, or the one that kills the flavor. Oh, 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 oh you found Death the... in the afternoon. Hemingway okay. was on to something, okay? Hemingway yeah. was on to something. We'll talk about a lot that of later. Uh, anyway, absinthe, a bitter spirit containing wormwood, uh, ar- uh, artisima absinthium. Ah, I wonder where they got the name. Uh, and other herbs. Uh, was one of the most popular alcoholic beverages of the late 19th century Europe. The emerald green drink was consumed by people of all walks of life, including the bohemian upper class, artists, poets, and intellectuals. The lower class class celebrated the green hour. Okay. In numerous bars and cafes, painters and poets created famous paintings of poems dedicated to the green fairy. Absinthe was popular in the fin de la... I don't know. Of Paris and the Le Vie Bohème of Prague. Uh, he would think Bohème. it's been it's been a long time since uh, freshman French. It's been a long time since I watched Rent. Yeah. I don't believe yeah. that land no, before. I, no, I know what you're talking about. Did the chat uh, me up on that? No. no, no one wants to. Anyway, uh, the most remarkable celebrity known uh, as an absinthe drinker was Dutch post impressionist. Uh, tell the silly this wolf, you wolf him. The <laughs> uh, most remarkable celebrity known as an absinthe drinker is the Dutch post impressionist painter Vincent van Gogh, whose illness is still a uh, matter debated among neurologists and psychiatrists. Yeah, something probably wrong with him. When you're cutting ears off. <laughs> Uh, other fa- famous painters of the time, such as uh, Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec and Paul Gauguin, 
and uh, illustrious poets such as like Oscar Wilde, Charles Baudelaire, and Edgar Allan Poe were all fond of absinthe. Kentuckians are known for our mastery of French. Versailles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Louisville. Yep, that... Say it with me, Louisville. Oh. Hey, Google Maps says Louisville. <laughs> it does, it, they changed it so Google Maps says it correctly. <laughs> well, because absinthe consumption uh, reached excessive and alarming proportions at the turn of the 19th century, many European governments, as well as the U.S. administration, successfully banned the icon of La Vie, La Vie Bohème and by several prohibition acts. Uh, absinthe was used as an easy target of the temperance movement with the aim of later prohibiting alcohol in general. But absinthe remained uh, a sing- singularity as, not, as the only kind of alcoholic beverage with a long-term ban. Uh, some European countries, however, the green fairy survived. They clapped their hands and drank if they believed. Uh, <laughs> oh. The consumption was comparatively low in European. Uh, uh, sorry, comparatively low. The European Council enacted uh, in 1988 the directive on the approximation of laws of the member states relating to the flavoring for use in foodstuffs and to source materials for their production. That sounds like a real page-turner. Yeah. That allowed that re-allowed wormwood in, as an ingredient in alcoholic beverages. However, maximum limits of the wormwood ingredient... Yurion? Dujon. Dujon? Sure. Uh, which was uh, speculated to be the most probable cause of abstinism uh, were issued. Because of... Uh, I'm assuming that's their idea of... It's Alcoholism with abstinism. He's like, no, you're just, you're just drinking a lot. Uh, because the, uh, this change in policy, absinthe has seen a recent resurgence in contrast to uh, the social, legal, and medical problems of the late 19th century. Today, the image of the green fairy is marketed and, uh, uh, markedly changed, but still remains titillating. So-called the new absinthe is also uh, often offered as a fashionable, exclusive drink for y- at, for yuppie parties with claimed uh, property ranging from spiritual uh, elucidation to aphrodisiac stimulation with a corresponding pricing. Why didn't we uh, get the Because I Got High thing to put in here? <laughs> uh, look, the amount of, of marketing BS around absinthe is just so much of why I hate it. <laughs> Uh, in parallel, a fan club in the internet community has emerged. Absinthe can be purchased via the internet from various countries worldwide, making it possible to receive it in countries where it's not legally available. Uh, you'd still get well until this year. You would have still gotten in trouble for that in Kentucky, hmm. having it shipped to you. Oh yeah, uh, mm, yeah. Moreover, numerous recipes for the self-production of absinthe are available on the internet. As of 2006, it is unclear if the relicensing of absinthe would cause a similar or even new and uh, different forensic, medic- uh, medicinal, and social problems as it did in the late 1800s. <laughs> this is all because the documented uh, medical use for wormwood can be uh, traced back to Eber- the Ebers Papyrus, an Egyptian medical document dating from uh, 15- uh, 1552 BC, uh, the oldest preserved medical document. This papyrus would be a copy from even more ancient books of Thoth, going back to 35,000 BC. Uh, wormwood I first is- read that. I read it as thought. Yep. Totally different in today's context. <laughs> uh, the name Wormwood is derived from uh, ethylaminic properties, which uh, 
recognized by the ancient Egyptians. Wormwood is, uh, in context of its bitter taste, is mentioned several times in the Old Testament. In the biblical context, the plant represented a curse, a calamity, or injustice, and drinking it is an injustice. <laughs> yes. In Revelations, the Greek equivalent uh, ho aspethos is used as the name for a star that fell into the waters and turned them bitter. Uh, the Greek word uh, aspelon, uh, undrinkable, is most probably the ancestor of the word absinthe. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's it. Checks out. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the Greek Quite undrinkable. The Greek mathematician and philosopher Pythagoras of Samos uh, recommended wine-soaked wormwood to alleviate labor pains. He also believed that there was no square root to the number two and that uh, peanuts were evil. So, you know. <laughs> I always love that. I always forget it until someone brings it up. The Pythagoras thought that peanuts were evil. Um, yeah. Uh, Hippocrates uh, used wormwood extracts for his treatment of men- uh, menstrual pain and rheumatism. I mean, same thing. Right? Might cause both of those as well. <laughs> Uh, Pliny the Elder, a Roman scholar and scientist, also mentioned extracts of wormwood in his opus Historis Naturalis. Uh, in the Middle Ages, wormwood was used as a purge and uh, v- vermifuge? Vermifuge? I'm not sure. Uh, vermifuge. <laughs> uh, as, and it developed towards a general remedy for all diseases and, a, uh, and was a herb of Mars for its medical prow- powers. Wormwood's bitter taste inspired women in these days to apply it to their nipples to encourage the weeding of their babies. In fact, Shakespeare's Juliet, (laughs) Shakespeare's Juliet nurse expounded upon this in Romeo and Juliet. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, no, get off that, honey. Keep that in mind Uh, when it's time to wean him. We're just gonna save some absinthe. Absinthe, (laughs) because that that would wean me. I'd be so. All right. The image of just a bitter medicine changed to popular drink among the masses in the 16th century. The so-called Pearl of Tudor, England, was a drink composed of hot ale and wormwood. Dried leaves of wormwood were infused in proof spirits, distilled, and sweetened with sugar, as prescribed in Smith's Complete Body of Distilling in 1731. I can only think of one explanation for this. This had to have been super alcoholic that made them go, yep, we're down. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, it won't technically kill me by drinking it, <laughs> unlike the water. Mm. Uh, the French physician Pierre Ordinaire <laughs> is supposedly, I love that name, just, just going to throw it out there. It's supposed- Ordinary Peter. <laughs> it's supposedly the originator of the classic absinthe recipe, being uh, <clears throat> Acquainted with the accent use of wormwood, he began to develop the recipe for an alcoholic drink, which probably contained wormwood, anise, hyssop, didney, sweet flag, sweet flag, sweet flag, (laughs) (laughs) Melissa. (laughs) Yo, Melissa, come over here. And varying (laughs) amounts of coriander, veronica, chamomile, parsley, and allegedly spinach. Okay, so he found two women, (laughs) rolled them up in a bunch of hops, and then turned them into a drink. Uh, That explains the aftertaste. Obviously. Dr. Ordinaire, who had fled the French Revolution, settled down in Val de Travers 
in western Switzerland, which has remained an important center of absinthe production. In, the, in fairness, a lot of people needed to flee the French Revolution. Yeah, it is uh, to note, you will see a lot of uh, Switzerland markings on a lot of the labels for absinthe. Yeah. Definitely had to look down. I'm like, yep, the little seal on ours has it. Uh, in the small town of Couvet, the elixir 68% volume uh, soon attained the nickname Fiverte. Commercial absinthe production began in 1797 when a man named Major oh, Dubid uh, Major Dubid uh, <laughs> bought the recipe from Doctor Ordinaire and proceeded to manufacture the spirit with his son-in-law. Henry Louis Pernod in Val de Traverse, Switzerland. Yeah. In 1805, Pernod removed to, moved to, oh, God, the French. <laughs> Look, our state says Versailles. I'm just going to. Just don't pronounce the last few letters of whatever it is. <laughs> Pontrelaire, uh, France, to serve the French market. The distillery had once had one still with a daily capacity of 16 liters. That is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the widespread use of alcoholic drinks uh, containing wormwood extract might have also resulted from the use of wormwood as a preventative measure for helm helminthesis. I don't know. And don't fevers know that may be up. Yeah, it's like uh, dive into that one. And fevers during French conquest of Algeria. <laughs> infestation with parasitic worms oh, oh. good fun <laughs> oh probably how it got the name wormwood because huh. it helps keep the worms away mm. the soldiers returning to france discovered absinthe as a tasty substitute for their wormwood medicine due to oh coming back from That's war with something. worms oh god <laughs> Due to rising interest in uh, anise-based spirits, as well as increased promotion and advertising, the production of Pernard's absinthe was increased up to a 125,000 liter scale. Think Good about Lord. that. Uh, in 1896, this was aided by uh, the drastically reduced production of red wine in these years due to major damages caused by the vine pest. We actually talked about that in one of our previous vine... Or, previous wine episodes didn't we <laughs> previous fine episodes oh, oh. Uh, the emerald spirit was however known to be enjoyed excessively on both sides of the atlantic the annual per capita consumption of absinthe in france increased 15 fold between 1875 and 1913 according to Jeez. an article in the times french consumption of pure alcohol in 1876 was 15,500 hectoliters it was 10 times that amount in 1908, and in 1913, it had reached the figure of 239,492 hectoliters, representing 60 liters per inhabitant. Let's go ahead and think about that. <laughs> in 1913, every inhabitant of France was consuming roughly 60 liters Jeez, like per per day, per year? From For the year, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way for the day you'd just be dead. It's called alcohol poisoning. <laughs> Parallel to this mass consumption and its consequences, anti-alcohol movements, wine growers, and clergy <laughs> called wait, for the wait, banning. Wait, wait, wait. Back that up. 
pure alcohol. Pure. 60 liters of pure alcohol turns into 120 liters of, like, a vodka strength. (laughs) Or about 100 liters of absinthe. So almost double the actual... The amount because that's that's 100% alcohol basically is what it's saying yeah huh. it's a lot of alcohol it's a lot of strong alcohol <laughs> so uh, okay. clergy were calling for uh, the banning of absinthe many murders and other acts of violence were attributed to the influence of absinthe furthermore uh, the medical community had developed a strong scientific and medical case against absinthe <laughs> attributing an increase in insanity and other serious medical problems to an overindulgence in the drink. It was widely believed that the problem with alcohol was not the quantity consumed, but the quality. Kind of a, you know, drinking moonshine will make you go blind. Well, you know, when to give it that extra kick, you put in, like, arsenic. Yeah. A little turpentine will get you there. Talk. Cut my uh, cocaine. <laughs> the absinthe prohibition crusade in France was a paradoxical paradoxical campaign in which uh, the wine producers, suppliers of the vast majority of alcoholic drinks consumed, backed the temperance movement. That's, that's you know double edged it's, it's what double edged blade just, they're dealing with right there. Yeah, it's more that idea like, well, it's bad for them, so it's got to be good for us. <laughs> The attention being given to absinthe's supposed unique qualities can be seen as an attempt to reduce alcoholism without specifically touching alcohol. However, it also may have diverted efforts away from the genuine dangers of heavy heavy alcohol consumption. At first, concerns about absinthe were ignored, especially by the French government, due to lucrative revenues resulting from the enormous scale of absinthe sales. By the end of the 19th century, temperance forces had succeeded in getting the attention of almost all of France through educational programs and public awareness campaigns. In 1908, a bill was passed that ironically increased the amount of alcohol in absinthe. The argument being that the requirements for higher alcohol strength would eliminate those producers who used artificial essences with lower standards of purity. Yeah. Look, that alcohol will kill whatever is in there. <laughs> Unless it's toxin, which is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Only rising concerns about a weakening of military power in the light of absinthe abuse, especially in the army, pressured the French government to ban absinthe in 1915. The U.S. Department of Agriculture had already issued the Food Inspection Decision 147, which banned absinthe in the U.S., on the 25th of July, 1912, Belgium, Switzerland, and Italy had also passed laws prohibiting absinthe in 1905. 1908 and 1913, respectively, finally Germany outlawed the Green Ferry on uh, 27th of April, 1923. Prestwick concluded that the prohibition of absinthe did little to improve the health of the French people. As deprived of their traditional absinthe, consumers merely switched to similar drinks. In addition, by stressing the problem of essences and impure alcohol, temperance campaigners distracted both medical research and the public from the real cause of alcoholism, namely the excessive consumption of any type of alcoholic drink. Yeah, the uh, that's the problem. Like the 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 myth about it, you know, making you hallucinate, comes from 
this era of of look, we put weird stuff in there. Yeah. Or you know, like people were just drinking too much. Like, you know. Yeah. You ever you ever been so drunk that, that all of the lights start to blur when you turn your head? <laughs> like, you're not in your right mind then. Ever be so been so <laughs> drunk that you're hearing voices? Well, it could just be normal people talking to you, but it sounds like it's coming from just inside your head. <laughs> you cannot drink enough of this stuff. It would it would kill you, or the flavor would. <laughs> I telling, think the flavor would. We'll get to it at the end, but I'll tell you the secret to consuming vast quantities of absinthe. Oh. Teach me, O-sensei. <laughs> the drink to which we refer to as pre-ban absinthe was the icon of the time. When dealing with good quality absinthe, Recipe books distinguish between absinthe souce with an alcoholic content of approximately 68 to 72 percent ABV or absinthe demi fine with 50 to 68 percent ABV or absinthe ordinaire with a content of 40 to 50, 45 to 50 ABV. Absinthe souce was considered the highest quality and consisted of pure herbal distillate with while in the other types the distillate was diluted with ethyl alcohol. According to these wildly ranging uh, contents, these absinths must have contained different concentrations of thujum. Oh, yeah, the weird thing with the J that shouldn't be there. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, the, that's the wormwood compound that's, that they say actually causes the hallucinations. Um, and, well, I, I don't... We'll talk about that here in just a little bit, I think. Um, a definition of absinthe was provided in Swiss law at the time of a prohibition of absinthe. According to this definition, every spirit drink, without regard to its method of production that contains aromatic compounds of wormwood herb in combination with other aromatic compounds derived from su- from plants such as anise and fennel, is defined as absinthe. Thujon was regarded as being the determining factor amongst the aromatic compounds in determining uh, uh, the terms of detecting wormwood spirits. In the first steps of traditional recipes for distillate absinthe uh, or distilled absinthe, absinthe, wormwood and other dried herbs like anise and uh, or anise and fennel are macerated. The maceration of the wormwood herb uh, is a green brown color, smells aromatic like all uh, aramecia uh, species. Yeah, I was gonna say like, good luck, Artemisia. <laughs> Uh, species it reminds one of the composite herbs like chamomile the taste is lightly stinging strongly bitter and camphor like um the following distillate of the 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 following distillation of the macerate results in a distillate that is reduced from the bitter compounds which are relatively non-volatile so the bitterness will stay in uh, without actually being distilled out so i was gonna say uh, yeah well (laughs) Oh well, and and you really have to go hard on the distillate in order to get the 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 bittering compounds usually stay in the pot, and what you get out of it are non bitter. They're kind of more of a, a non aromatic type compound. Um, the distillation is conducted and is still with a very flat helmet, slowly heated in a water or steam bath to avoid boil over that would negatively influence the product quality. The distillation process is usually stopped at an alcoholic strength of seventy percent ABV. The characteristic light, volatile, finely aromatic components of the wormwood aroma appear in the first fraction between 80 and 60% ABV. So very early on, you're going to get those easily to volatile um, aromatic components. So those will come over into the actual um, uh, distillate. 
While the middle fractions possess a cinnamon or clove-like aroma, uh, you're going to get those a little bit later on. Distillation of absinthe should never be carried out all the way to the end, though, as the taste of the product would be too strong and less fine. Therefore, only the main fractions or the hearts are used in the production of high-quality absinthe. Wait, you're telling me there's a version of this that's stronger? (laughs) Unfortunately. Oh, God. (laughs) The heads and tails are uh, collected separately and added to subsequent macerations and used to make absinthe ordinaire after renewed rectification. So, layman's terms, that just basically means that they mix the heads and tails back into the next batch and then they'll redistill. Because there are some, some... regular alcohols in there that you want to get same thing happens with um, With, uh, brandy yep or whiskey you want to take those and put them back in and and you redistill it because it's basically through distillation you're saying okay the middle part is mostly alcohol but there's still some other compounds there once you get to the end you're less alcohol more of the strongly aromatic stuff but there's still you know 30 percent 40 percent in this case maybe at 60 percent um stopped at alcoholic strength of 60%. So there's still what's left there could be, you know, 55% alcohol by volume still left. Yeah. In. I just always associate it with, uh, with brandy because, uh, that's how I learned distilling on three sheets. Uh, is them going the, the, the heads, the hearts and the tails. And yeah. it's always like, just, I always picture that as like, Oh wait, you could, very top. Oh, that's, that's the I'll make you blind stuff. Yeah, that's where the methanol comes, or the most, the largest proportion of the methanol comes off in that top yeah. end. Um, and then towards the, the bottom end of it, you get more of the wet dog flavor. Right. Um, so the distillation of absinthe may have been a type of steam distillation, as significant amounts of water were added to the alcoholic macerate prior to, distil- to its distillation. Um, due to the influence of steam distillation, higher thujone may have been distilled over. Uh, in a second step, wormwood, usually Artemisia pontica. So we'll talk a little bit, I think, in, in what – I don't know in what I've got to drink. They actually make a difference in what type of wormwood they use. So we'll talk a little bit at the end. I think that translates to the pointy artifus. <laughs> or pon- Arte- Artemisia pontifica, the Pope's, Pope's Artemisia. Uh, and other herbs are added. Uh, to the colorless distillate. This is done to accomplish the characteristic green coloring by chlorophyll and achieve a mildly bitter taste, as well as to extract other aromatic compounds. So my understanding is you can't distill chlorophyll. It's going to stay in the pot when you distill it. So you take what comes off with all those great flavors, well, with all those flavors, (laughs) and then you put... Uh, actual more herbs and more uh, chlorophyll-containing compounds into the liquor at that point, and then it's going to extract that green chlorophyll. So because of the easy denaturation of chlorophyll through the light and warmth, the characteristic color is traditionally produced uh, with absinthe having a pale to greenish-yellow color. Afterward, the beverage is diluted with water until drinking strength is reached. So you'll you'll distill it to between 80 and 60% alcohol. You'll add these herbs to it, and then you'll strain those off and add water back to it to get the right strength that you want. So I know we'll probably get to it later, but what I find fascinating is it does come out like kind of green. You know, well, depending on the absinthe, some of them are clear. Yep. But they come out like this yellow green when you when you pour it usually 
Yes. And then when you add water and sugar, you know, cold water of any kind, it actually starts making it more green at that point. At least a pale green. It gets some of the yellow out. At least if you look at this right here. I don't know. I just find this interesting. Hmm. I was trying to think. I thought I had something in here about it, but um, yeah, there's a there's a process where basically it. Okay. Yeah. Here it is. So I'll pull on from here and, and we'll go from there. So uh, you get down to the drinking strength that you want. The composition of herbs used along with the wormwood differs from recipe to recipe. To improve the taste or, or add coloring, anise, star anise, lemon balm, hesop, juniper, nutmeg, veronica, angelica root, melissa, coriander, chamomile, or parsley were added here. Um, each country picturing, pre- picturing Archie just like throwing veronica in there, going like, "All right, Betty, it's me and you now. I've distilled veronica away." That's right. Uh, each country produced its own type of absinthe. For example, the Czech Republic used peppermint as an added product, but neither anise or fennel. So I think I would probably like theirs a little bit better because get all those licorice-flavored things out. Um, in Switzerland, Melissa, Hesop, or Angelica root were added, and the Swiss Alpine wormwood, which was a valued ingredient due to its strong aroma, was used. While in France, coriander was added. So here I mean, it is. that could only really improve it, I guess. <laughs> I'll take coriander in anything. Because the essential oils from the diverse herbs can be kept in solution only in high alcohol concentrations, the addition of water causes a precipitation visible as an opaque clouding of absinthe. This ph- phenomenon is called the Lausch effect. So there you go. That's, that's why it actually um, turns cloudy when you add water to it. Well, um, I don't think whiskey does the same thing. But it does have like those oils that when you add water, you can see them start to sheen on the top a lot more. Right. Yeah, and so. if you if you let your your whiskey kind of sit with with ice in it and that melts and it gets really watered down, then that can kind of cause some of those oils to um, to congeal more or less. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is with what's the lemon uh, drink the, from Italy? Oh. Limoncello. Oh. Limoncello. Yeah. I was gonna say the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. But... <laughs> yeah. So limoncello, you, you use basically lemon pills, and the oils seep out of there, and it's a high alcohol. You always use a very high alcohol to make it, but then once you pour it over ice or once you pour it into something else, it's going to, when you water it down, it's going to go ahead and start bringing those in, and, and you'll have that Lausch effect again on that one. Um, the characteristic bitterness is caused by a... a ooh. A... By... Sequestwinter... <laughs> Penne lactone absinthine. Says quinter penne lactone. Yeah, close enough. Cool. Uh, so that's the compound that makes it bitter. It can be detected in concentrations as low as one gram in seventy liters. <laughs> yeah. So one gram for every liter of alcohol that a, a Frenchman uh, or woman drank at the time. Due to differential or due to different historical aspects of absinthe, a subdivision into historic pre-ban absinthe and the currently available modern absinthe is made. So there's even a uh, another uh, kind of split there. With uh, did I skip something there? I guess not. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking there was a different one there. So there's a split between what the the pre-ban and then um, the the actual absinthe that we kind of drink 
today and what you can see there. Uh, besides the previous mentioned herbal ingredients in pre-man absinthe, different manu- manufacturers of absinthe sometimes use strange or even toxic additives such as methanol, sweet flag, tansy, nutmeg, antimony, aniline green, copper sulfate, very toxic there, uh, cupric acetate indigo. Um, the Lancet, which is a medical journal, reported that in the days of pre-ban absinthe, antimony was added with the well-meant intent to decrease absinthe's toxicity. However, it was questionable even in 1873 if quantities of tartar, yeah, emetic, um, which emetic means that you throw up, right? I, I believe know. so. I don't think I've ever heard it. Uh, would rather uh, like emetics are, are things that you take to to make you throw up if I'm not mistaken. I may be wrong there. Uh, would not rather adulterate the spirit as it would cause. Oh, here we go. As it causes nausea, sickness, and toxic mm. effects of its own. From today's view, it is more likely that antimony salts were added to make absinthe turn milky when adding water, simulating the Lausch effect. So you wouldn't have See. enough wormwood and oils in there for it to, to actually change. So you'd have to add these other compounds to give it that effect. See, when you keep when I keep saying antimony, I just keep ringing as alimony, and I'm like, hmm, that's that's bad. That's too. not good. <laughs> Increasing consumption, which arose, uh, which arose competition among manufacturers, flooded the market with such imitations of absinthe. Absinthe can so easily be adulterated that Emerson wondered if the genuine article was still in existence. I mean, in technically, addition- I guess now it's not. <laughs> Uh, in addition, instead of traditional production by distillation, absinthe could be made using herbal essences in the shower, screaming. I, know, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I was getting ready to say, like, herbal, bo- herbal botanicals. Wow. <laughs> it's herbal essence. The color uh, of yeah, proper- I use those all the time. <laughs> the color of a properly made absinthe is entirely due to chlorophyll derived from the green leaves of wormwood, hyssop, spinach, parsley, nettles, and veronica. However, in the years preceding 1912, the spirit was most frequently colored by artificial agents. Um, convenience products like absinthe extracts, which had only uh, which had only be dissolved in alcohol and colored with food dye, were also commercially available at the time. Um, so you would take this extract. And then as a alcohol manufacturer, you would make your own alcohol and then just pour in basically a bucket of extract and add food coloring. And that would be like your own own absinthe that you could sell locally. I mean, close enough, I guess. Yeah, just neutral grain alcohol or whatever. Uh, as food adulteration, the light green color of chlorophyll was sometimes enhanced with inorganic salts like copper sulfate and copper acetate. Jesus pretty sure those are those are pretty poisonous to humans yeah um the heavy metal poisoning that sort of thing uh inferior and falsified products were typically made by mixing industrial alcohol with the flavorings and artificial food dyes in the worst case with antimony trichloride and copper salts another general problem at that time was that the heads and tailings which were separate from the product in their fraction distillation um those were good to be taken out and then redistilled later. But legal manufacturers would actually sell those products to illegal manufacturers and then use those as a main component to their adulterated absinthe products. See, here's where I could totally see someone like, yeah, no, this is yeah. this is messing you up. By the way, um, the, the Modern Rogue episode talked about like an incident 
that that galvanized, I guess, stuff against absinthe in that that era when it was like, stri- you know, they blamed absinthe on some axe murders. Yeah, yeah. So I, like, I was thinking about that because I was watching it this morning, trying to like get my head in the absinthe game. Look, I'm <laughs> not saying this isn't the first time that this thing has happened, but we we've, we've been planning it. We'll plan an episode. We plan at least a month or so in advance. And in this case, this episode was planned like two to three months ago because things got pushed a month or so. And then the modern rogue decides, oh, we're going to do an episode on Absinthe. And I'm just in the back of my mind, it's like, it's like they're in in there seeing what, oh, we're going to do similar. This. Look, they, it's like they, we were talking earlier when those two movies about friends hooking up got oh, made in the same year. Yeah. You know, friends with strings and uh, <laughs> uh, no benefits attached. Right. <laughs> um, it, uh, so it was also wondered that if a total, uh, if if these beverages had remained in their purity, potentially a total abolishment may not have even happened. Um, given these facts, it's easy to uh, to kind of figure out that the prohibition of such a mixture could successfully eradicate the whole system. Whole, um, yeah. or the whole syndrome that, that these people were having. Um, because this article that we pulled things from was basically just focused on the alcoholism based around absent. So that's that's kind of their, their real focus here. If you were to get rid of these bad liquors, then you could probably get rid of the bad behaviors mostly associated with those. I mean, there's still bad things are going to happen when people get, like, yeah, super messed <laughs> up. Lit. I mean, you can see, yeah. like, the where how they got to that point on like the logic train but (laughs) yeah but but still i i find it funny that in the modern day we we market this as so classy when it's french moon when it it, to some extent it's french moonshine yeah except bad anyway (laughs) um (laughs) so uh speaking of absinthe today um (laughs) 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 sorry that was just really good timing uh, most absinthe brands available today contain mainly the same herbal ingredients and extracts as pre-ban absinthe. Uh, it's produced within the European Union and it's limited in its, um, how are we saying this? Thujon? That's what it looks Thujon. like. That's probably wrong. Uh, content to 35 um, milligrams per liter. Uh, maximum limit for bitter spirits. All right. Uh, top grade absinthe products are still manufactured according to traditional recipes without the addition of dye or other additives. Some products are made of herbal distillates and are differentiated by a mild flavor. Because such products are colorless, they are sold as blanche or le bleu, <laughs> which is probably wrong. Uh, types with a lower alcoholic strength and added sugar are sold as absinthe liqueurs. Independent of traditional recipes, many products sold nowadays are made with readily bought finished extracts of wormwood or other plants, which are blended with ethyl alcohol of agricultural origin. So uh, for the coloring, artificial dye is used, especially mixtures of uh, tartrazine, yellow number five, and patent blue five, or is it blue V or blue five? I'm going to go with five. Uh, yeah, I think well, it's five actually. Or the, uh, uh, all these food colorings, like number five or whatever, and the earlier use of Veronica and Melissa and whatever else, just making me think of of some weird food color number five song. Yeah. 
like the love oh, potion number nine. <laughs> no. Oh, that one, that one, that one. Like, gotcha. Yeah. Like, would that be uh, a by MC allergy? Oh dear. <laughs> you know they could work that in. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> but a uh, so... little bit of tartazine in my life. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit of thujone in my side. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Uh, inferior products contain no herbal extracts. Like that song. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> They're made solely by the blending of artificial flavors, coloring, and ethyl alcohol. In cases like this, sometimes even the macerated herbs are not distilled, but only filtered, diluted to drinking strength, and bottled. All I could think of when you said that was everything a growing boy needs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, these products have a strong, pronounced taste of wormwood and a very strong, bitter taste. Further falsification is possible with the addition of extracts of other thujone containing plants like Thuja occidentalis L yeah. <laughs> and uh, Salvia officinalis. Those yeah. words. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as far as. Salvia. Yeah, so I was going to say, uh, the salvia there. Um, right, sorry. Actually a popular one. Uh, so, here's the thing that everybody kind of talks about when you talk about absinthe, aside from like the licorice taste, is there's this ritual around how you drink the absinthe. Or... You go out, you, you set up an altar, <laughs> sacrifice a goat, you let the blood pour around the cup, you pour the absinthe into there. You, you, pray you to lift the goat head above the thing, pray to the absinthe gods, pour sugar into it, and hope it's right. More or less. Right? Uh, or you pull the cork, you flip the lid on the toilet, you dump it straight in the toilet, <laughs> throw the sugar yeah. cubes on top of it because it was all garbage, and then you flush it and just kiss those $100 goodbye. More or less. I think that one's probably more accurate. Got it. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so for the record, we do. Uh, I, I'm going to link in the show notes um, the episode from Modern Rogue on absinthe because they show uh, them making it. He makes it in his own way, but it's basically the way that um, you would see anything written out like it. This is how you make absinthe. Um, yeah. So uh, to be noted, using croutons instead of sugar might help this. <laughs> brown sugar cubes which yeah. i thought about grabbing brown sugar for this and i was like yeah let's try it with just regular sugar so no then that's when we got the idea because we use coconut sugar for just about everything he's like can we get coconut sugar cubes oh yeah i don't know that'd be amazing uh so in the in the modern rogue video they talk um the bartender who they get for all their bartending episodes and it's sure. amazing uh tra yeah, tra uh so he said um you want four to five parts water and sugar to one part absinthe. So that's a, yeah, an important that, thing to keep that, in mind. I kept thinking I was not putting enough water as I was mixing it. Once I got to a certain tipping point, I can drink it now. <laughs> Fair. Um, so, okay. So we have um, actually a couple of methods. One is a little less uh, common. Um, but these these came from a great article I found on WikiHow. Uh, so, first off... Wiki, is, wow. <laughs> First off is the more common one. So uh, you want to drip very pure ice-cold water into the absinthe from a small pitcher. This very slow and gradual addition of the water forms the heart of the absinthe ritual and is done with or without the sugar. When using sugar, the cold water is dripped over the sugar and into the drink, causing the sugar to slowly dissolve into the absinthe. 
very high quality absinthe can be expertly experienced simply with the ice cold water. Um, as the water is added to the absinthe, the absinthe should gradually, how are we saying this word? Lausch? Loosh? Lausch. Yeah. So basically the, it, it turns opaque, essentially. Um, Lauation. <laughs> right. Uh, so, and, and the thing with the, um, the sugar cube is, so there's a specific absinthe spoon. Um, although in the modern rogue video, he kind of uses his own like strainer. He's kind a of strainer. Spoon. Yes. Yeah. Which I was all for. Right. Cause it's probably more practical, but in like, I, I was looking up absinthe spoons earlier. There are some crazy designed absinthe spoons out there. There was one that came with a, uh, with a, in a box with a bottle of absinthe that oh, yeah. I could have bought today. And I went, no. no, I'm not paying extra money for your spoon. For a weird ass. So spoon. the first time we had absinthe, that was the only way to get it. Because this, it, yeah, uh, we it came had to with look, the spoon. Is it was right, just, it was just after it was legalized, absinthe in the States. And the only way to get it was in these big box sets that came with the glasses and the spoon and everything for well over $100. So we used to have that stuff sitting around, but after we tried it and decided it was hot garbage, yeah. I got rid of it because I was like, I'm never buying this again. Yeah, so <laughs> the uh, the next method I've never heard of before, but it sounds like far more uh, ritualistic, let's say. So this is the Czech or modern Bohemian method. How many goats does this one require? Surprisingly none, but there is fire involved. How uh, <laughs> how much queen do you need to play while using this one? A lot. <laughs> Probably a lot. Uh, so, okay. So you pour a dose of absinthe into a glass, then place the sugar cube on the absinthe spoon or teaspoon. Soak the sugar in the absinthe by dipping it into the absinthe with the spoon or pouring a little absinthe over it. Light the absinthe-soaked sugar on fire for about one minute, <laughs> allowing the sugar to begin to caramelize. This is when you can start into the whole spiel about fire eating. And... <laughs> right. The concept of resistance to fire is as old as, as absinthe itself. <laughs> uh, so um, is this, if an absinthe spoon is used, take care that the sugar does not burn or drip into the absinthe, ruining its flavor. <laughs> Hold on. Let's be, let's be clear. There's a warning here which says this can be very dangerous because absinthe has a very high alcohol content and, and is flammable. very flammable. <laughs> it's true. Important. Yeah. Uh, so, pour ice cold water over the sugar cube before it begins turning brown and burning. This <laughs> process should pr- produce the Lausch effect. It would also produce the Lausch effect pouring cold water over the sugar cube. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, not using fire. Um, <laughs> so, uh, use this method appropriately, says, uh, though frowned upon by some af- absinthe aficionados. This untraditional method has become popular in recent years. Sure. Absinthe with a high alcohol content will ignite more readily, but it's certainly not recommended that high-quality absinthe be set aflame. (laughs) So, you hadn't heard this one before? This was the way I heard you had to consume absinthe from a History Channel special. The on-fire version? Yeah. They talk about about both of them, but I had heard this one in it. I'm pretty sure I'd heard this I one. I've never it, heard like, of this. Yeah, the, the original one I knew was that you were supposed to set the cube on fire. But when we were originally doing it, I just decided, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah, because <laughs> like, no, that would be fine. No, I'm not burning this place down. Right. We lived in a pretty nice apartment at that time. So I was like, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going not gonna to burn it down. 
so we have a few cocktails. This was found on the same article, and I was like, oh, good. Absinthe cocktails. It's got to make it taste better. Um, so the no. first one is... Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> It's a, it was a pipe dream. Um, so the first one is called <laughs> Death in the Afternoon. And right. uh, it says it, it was made famous by Ernest Hemingway. Of, of course. course. Alone. <laughs> We're all just yeah. like, sure. Death in the Afternoon, liked by Ernest Hemingway. It's like he understood foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so he said, and this is a quote from Hemingway, allegedly, pour one jigger of absinthe into a champagne glass. Add iced champagne until it attains the proper opalescent milkiness. Drink three to five of these slowly. <laughs> three and, to five. And that is the quote from Hemingway. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's uh, by the way, that's not like his slowly. It's probably not the same as our slowly. <laughs> Fair. Remember. His slowly probably mean did not take his shot. Remember, the ocean was gin, the boat was gin, the old man was gin. <laughs> right. Everything Fish else was, was absinthe. Indeed. The fish was absinthe. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one is absinthe Sazerac. Uh, Sounds like a good uh, taste of Sazerac. I, yeah. <laughs> so it says, uh, add three dashes of absinthe to a bucket glass nearly filled with ice cubes. I didn't see b- glass in the dock right away. What is like, a bucket a bu- glass? And I went, are we literally just throwing it away? <laughs> <laughs> and a cocktail shaker with ice. Mix vigorously. So you're going to mix two ounces of Ossicolis brandy, uh, a quarter ounce simple syrup, two dashes of um, Peshad's bitters, and pour contents of cocktail shaker into the bucket glass. Stir lightly and wipe rim with lemon zest before adding it as a garnish. I'll give him credit for the lemon zest. I do like to... <laughs> I do like that in my, in my cocktails. Like, oh, just a so, little... I, this could be good. I mean, bitters and brandy and, I, I don't know, more oh, sugar. It's not a lot of absinthe. It's three dashes. Yeah, it's it's like a, it's a, it's a, an idea of absinthe. I like the idea um, of the cocktails made by you throw dashes of absinthe, like, over your shoulder, just out. <laughs> no one drinks it's it. Just it's like just like You just get rid of yeah, it. It's like you just vermouth. look at it it's from afar. You wave the bottle over the... <laughs> You 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 set up a picture of uh, Doctor Ordinaire, and you stir into your cocktail while looking longingly at it. That's the proper amount of absinthe to add to a drink. Exactly. Uh, for, okay. So next off, we have the absinthe sour. So uh, you're going to mix um, the following ingredients vigorously in an ice-filled cocktail shaker. Strain into a martini glass. So it's going to be half an ounce of absinthe, a teaspoon of caster sugar which I had to look that up because British Baking Show, uh, three-quarters yeah. ounce lemon juice, and an ounce of gin. Um, that could be okay, perhaps. It's the... all sour. and was, it was kind of hoping there would be egg. Right? That one, that one has ruined me, by the way, because that was clearly the best sour ever. I'm pretty sure this is more like what Hemingway drank. If yeah. you get rid of the caster <laughs> sugar and the lemon juice, I'm pretty sure that's all. That's what him. Gin and absinthe. <laughs> gin and absinthe. Half, half absinthe, half gin. Go to town. Leave the bottles. He just Ugh. throws two bottles into a bucket and then just starts drinking. Ugh. Glass and all. Put a crazy straw in it. Oh, okay. So before well, we get into what we're drinking, chug absinthe. This is the so last. We can get by. The oh. last one is like the most interesting to me because it's freaking weird. It's called the Kalashnikov shot. That's that sounds like it's like forty seven things. <laughs> so a 
Okay. Place half a lemon or half lemon vodka in a shot glass. Fill half with absinthe. So, so far, half lemon vodka, half absinthe. <laughs> two, two halves of things I don't want. Yeah. <laughs> uh, float a slice of lemon on top. Place a sugar cube on top of the lemon. Drip on more absinthe. Light it on fire. <laughs> blow out the flame. Or use the backdraft method of putting your palm over the cup. And drink the shot. No, no, no. That's throw the shot out the window. Because <laughs> That's what I was set, expecting at the end of this. Set fire to everything. <laughs> like Burn, burn the world down. down. That is the most elaborate way of doing a shot I've ever heard of, of in my life. Uh, and uh, Casey, remember uh, like the dumb fail videos of shots? Yes. That, oh, and yeah. The one guy that does one and he throws it back and it hits the side of his mouth. I have to imagine this is what happens. You know, like when he, he gets caught there and he breathes out and breathes fire. Yep. Oh, like dose fire. <laughs> and then you just taste you taste and smell of licorice forever. Uh, okay. <laughs> so then he goes to the burn ward, someone's like, Who's eating licorice? So <laughs> So yeah. I think we should get into with, with uh, that said, that's <laughs> that that's absinthe. Now we're gonna really tell you what we think about it. Drink with me, friend. Do it. <laughs> Not Don't this. drink with us. Don't drink this. We'll get you other stuff. I'll buy you drinks to avoid this. Having said that, yes, if you are a giant licorice fan, you probably will love it. You might be about this, yeah. This might be uh, your jam. If you don't care for licorice very much, if black licorice really makes you recoil, don't just don't. Don't don't be at a party and be like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try. Don't just no. Don't try it straight. I tried that at the start of the episode. Ooh. Um, and you know what? No. Try it straight if you're going to try it. To realize that you should never do that again. <laughs> um, I went out and bought some Mephisto uh, absinthe. This is absinthe classique. Neutral spirits distilled with herbs and colored with wormwood panties. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. I don't like that last bit. There's small, and it's hard to see what they're trying to write. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't care for it. Uh, but uh, the it's 130 proof, so it'll get you there. Wow. <laughs> and uh, the distillate description: This outland outstanding distillate is based on the original recipe from 1909, and traditionally includes uh, grand wormwood, sage, fennel, and various other natural herbs. Um, I tried it straight, and it's like drinking spicy NyQuil. Uh, I added some water and sugar until it finally got to a somewhat drinking level, drinkable level. And uh, now it tastes like cloves. Well, that's better. Like sweet think. cloves. I would, t- I would take that over the licorice, definitely. I mean, there's still some licorice there, but it's 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 more tolerable once you put a whole lot of sugar and uh, and I wish I had sugar cubes to do, properly distill the whole thing, so I just had to kind of eyeball. No. I just grabbed some granulated sugars, like uh, how about that, and some water. Nope, more <laughs> of that and some more water. Still nope. So much like Even anything, more. if you add a lot of sugar, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So. I will say my original way uh, to consume it, because in college, the first absinthe we ever had was 
we bought a big bottle of what Casey's drinking. And after the New Year's Eve, when we all were feeling froggy and going <laughs> to drink it and then decided we all hated it, we started cutting it with... It took two years to get the bottle drank because no one wanted anything to do with it until we started cutting it with Dr. Pepper. Just like <laughs> straight absinthe and Dr. Pepper. Half and half, and it's stomachable. Which is like the most college thing to do. <laughs> I could see that Dr. Pepper, though, cutting that down, but still giving... Because it's like, yeah, much more powerful flavor. Well, yeah, it's got the same-ish, like kind of like mouth-numbing kind of... And the carbonating factor really helped. Yeah. All right, so what what are you guys drinking, Chris, Brittany? Well, we are, because I already knew, we both do not uh, enjoy absinthe. So went out shopping with that knowledge, looking for a small, cheap bottle, because I was not willing to sink a lot of money into this, knowing straight up we do not like the spirit. Yeah, every bottle I found was like 750 milliliters, so... That was, I was what I was noticing for a while, until I started looking down the shelf, and I found a 200 milliliter size bottle for $17. And I was like, this could be hot garbage, but it checks the right boxes. So, grabbed it, and started to come home, and after I get home and look, it actually landed on a vine pair list of the uh, one of the nine best absinths to get in the U.S. I tried looking at that list and found none of them where I was shopping. Oh. Mm. See, actually, they had most of them where I was shopping, but I was not willing to pay what they wanted. Mm. <laughs> so uh, we grabbed uh, Absinthe Verte from St. George Spirits. It's a 60% ABV. And the description, real absinthe, no artificial ingredients, no gimmicks. The first legal American absinthe released after the U.S. ban was lifted in 2007. St. George Absinthe Verte remains one of the most acclaimed and respected spirits in the category. Made from a host of real botanical ingredients, ours is layered with evocative expression of this beguiling and highly spirituous herbal elixir. And it has a monkey on the label. <laughs> and it uh, the monkey is playing uh, a human skull with, like, femurs as though it's a drum. It's it, I, If you're watching the video, I'll hold it up here so you can kind of see it. It's an entertaining label, but it does not uh, promote you drinking what's in this. No, it's not incentive. <laughs> but I do like, so, uh, the distiller St. George Spirits, they do not recommend adding sugar to this. A uh, direct quote from them. We developed our formulation over years of patient experimentation and think it's pretty much perfect just as it is. We don't advocate adding sugar to our absinthe or any other artisanally distilled absinthe, for that matter. But, you know, if you're already in, in the club that wants it. Yeah, they you did. You know, like how we didn't like IPAs. Yeah. Right. But they, Yeah, that's a little... That's different. But they I did. have a lifetime <laughs> hatred of anything licorice. Yeah. Mm. They did, however, uh, recommend uh, just an ice cube or chilled water. They're like, you know what? That's fine to release the botanicals, and it really does, you know, changes things up a bit. And that it does. I tried a little straight and uh, dropped an ice cube in Shit. there. And I will say, it's, it's almost like a Guinness to drop an ice cube in and then pour some absinthe over it, and you get this nice like trippy show to watch it if you just like kind of swirl it because it looks like smoke coming off of the ice cube as it starts to and it mix is a in. smoke a very different color. in the water oh yeah the color maybe that's what they were talking about 
the color goes from you know it looks like whiskey to it looks like orange juice. Like it yeah. is, it's really neat to watch it happen. So if you are gonna go through and buy it, you know, do that at least. It's fun. Um, I I have to say I I I had a sip, a sip. It's awful. Don't I, do it. I've been trying to power through. Um, no, it's it. First of all, without the the addition of anything, if you smell like just open the bottle and smell it, it smells like something you should be mopping with, not ingesting. <laughs> And then, uh, that's the power of pine saw, baby. Yeah. And, uh, drinking, like it is such a strong licorice flavor, even adding the, the water or whatever. Like, oh my God, I, I, it's bad. I don't like it. It's bad. And if you love black licorice, go for it. Knock yourself out. This is your gym jam. Yeah. So yeah, I, I am not a fan, but if you go down through the list of everything on it, you can pick out, like, all these flavors. Like, when you start going through uh, the use of fine brandy, star anise, mint, wormwood, lemon balm, uh, basil, fennel, tarragon, and stinging nettles. Like, you start to pick all this stuff out. And you're like, oh, no, yeah, all these all these herbs and things are in there. Combined, I just, I just don't like it. <laughs> How many herbs and spices are there in there? Are there 11? <laughs> Probably more than that. <laughs> oh. You should only Easily. use eleven. <laughs> you got to know what those are first. Yeah. All right, Casey. Hood Rivers Distillers uh, produces Lucid Absinthe Superior. Um, it's not how Oregon. you spell superior, <laughs> uh, but it is absinthe. Yes. <laughs> um, they actually say so. Absinthe. Yeah. 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 It's not good. No. 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 <laughs> no. 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 Um, this will sit on my liquor shelf and add to the collection. That's about all I can say for it. Um, they, the company does say that this is the first genuine absinthe made with real grand wormwood to be legally available in the United States. Um, it's also made with a full measure of grand wormwood. So the Artemisia absinthium, um, as well as other fine European herbs like uh Green anise, sweet fennel, hyssop, and Roman wormwood in addition. Um, so, I did... I drank this straight, like, yesterday, whenever I first got it. Sorry. I knew I didn't like it. Um, so, I was trying to just figure out what I could do with it to uh, disguise the flavor. First thing that I went to was a... It's got sort of a bitter flavor to it, so I said, okay, let's just run into that, and let's treat it like I would treat it uh, a, a, a vermouth. So I made a, um, a martini, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of pink grapefruit juice, an ounce of pineapple juice, shake that over an ice. <clears throat> then I take a martini glass that's been chilled, pour about a half ounce of absinthe in that, let it roll around to coat it pour out the excess, and then pour in the cocktail uh, into the glass. So You know, I had very similar thoughts about what I wanted to do with this. Did I try to make a cocktail out of it without knowing how it tasted? So, yeah. like, I was kind of like, I don't know what to expect. I'm looking over as I'm like, I could buy a bunch of mixers and just kind of wing it. And I was like, yeah, but then you're going to hear me the whole episode just, like, shaking oh, and making yeah. up something. So, that was okay. You could barely taste the absinthe, which was good, but the absinthe was just sort of 
harsh against the other ingredients. It was just like, okay, there's this drink that's actually pretty decent, and then there's absinthe going right up against it. And so it, it sort of just was a clashing flavor. When we started going through, I did not realize how simple Death in the Afternoon was to make. And being near the New Year's, I did have a little, like these mini bottles of uh, Mar- Martini and Rossi Asti. So it's a sparkling wine. It's Italian. It's not champagne, but it's very close. Yeah. Um, it's a sweet wine, too. So it's not dry champagne like it would call for in the drink, but it, it works out well because I added an ounce and of the absinthe and then a full pour of the entire quarter bottle or whatever of the, <laughs> right. of the Asti. Um, that balances very well. Huh. I, I actually am, am pleased with that. And I would, this wouldn't be you something would die that I would make any at home. afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Did you this drink? wouldn't be something that I would make at home. But if I was out at a bar where I, they, their specialty was absinthe, this is the drink that I would order with that. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's it's one of those drinks that sort of it lets the absence other flavors shine while also bringing back a little bit of that licorice flavor. Hmm. So I'm okay with that. I can I can deal with that. I also have acquired a stuffy nose in the time that we've been on the show. So maybe that's helped a little bit with the way the flavor is going. Um, it's also sixty two percent alcohol, so maybe a little drunk is is getting on here, but. Uh, but yeah, it's much better doing the the death in the afternoon than anything else that I've found, including so, the Sazerac. So Hemingway was on to something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was trying his best to to just kind of sink it. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Well, not one of our more loved <laughs> drinks, but so, like thankfully that does it for like, this episode. I think <laughs> this is the first one that we've run up against where all of us, like it was unanimous, we're like, nope, I don't like it. No, sir. No, bring usually, back hot chocolate. You, yeah, there's usually one of us that's just like, oh, yeah, I think it's okay. It's fine. No. No. No, no, no redeeming can, qualities. Like I said, enough sugar and enough cold water, you get past the tipping point where it's mostly the other thing and not so much absinthe. You, you, can, get, should, you can get through it. You shouldn't have to do that to, like, any drink. And now all of our <laughs> liquor... Our liquor if I'm paying $80 a bottle it. for this stuff, I better be able to really <laughs> just... Yeah. I it. mean, maybe this way it lasts forever. I don't know if you can... Let me see if, if I can pull this up. Can you see how little oh my I've actually drank? And I've made oh, yeah. three cocktails out of this and drank some straight. So, Casey, uh, yeah. you're in luck because the Lucid bottles look really good sitting on a liquor <laughs> shelf. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They're not still, bad looking. Yeah, they, they look nice. That's one thing that you can... When you buy your absinthe, buy a nice looking bottle because it's going to sit on that shelf for a long time. <laughs> for quite some time. It's a good conversation starter. <laughs> True. Indeed. All right. Well, all right then. You can subscribe and get some great resources at haveadrinkshow.com. Follow us at haveadrinkshow on social media and twitch.tv. Don't forget you can tell you can tell us your favorite drink, uh, which is probably not absinthe. <laughs> Ask a question or just leave some general feedback. You can use the email address feedback at have a drink show. Uh, you can also use the feedback page on the website. Uh, the website's also where you can find our new store as well. Oh yes. Yes, where everything is not uh, half off anymore. <laughs> uh, all joking and fun aside, guys, I'd like to remind everyone to please drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you can uh, check us out next Saturday for our next regular live episode. And remember to check out the New Year's Eve stream. Uh, <laughs> like two days. Yeah, Monday night. Actually, yeah, by, by, by the time this is up live. Yeah, this uh, should be posted before then. I'm 
That, that's my goal. There'll be some <laughs> New Eve and hours Day. To, yeah. New um, Eve and New Day stuff rocking from us. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, if you want to ch- uh, support us, we have the store. Plus, go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. Uh, once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Fraser. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you guys next time. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> <laughs>